If you're studying for the CISSP, CCSP, or CISM certification, you'll probably get a lot of benefit from the WANA Practice app at wanapractice.com. Hundreds of practice questions unavailable anywhere else, all in a simple interactive format, which you can access through any device with a browser. Check out the show notes for a discount code for half off the regular price. Wanna practice? Success and certification is in your hands. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec, where we discuss all things information, all things security, and all things information security. I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. And I'm Raphael Fiedler. And this week, gentlemen, the show is brought to you by Walter Spielman. If I was going to say, you, uh, you, you heard say market, Walter's name. <laughs> if you're in the market for a Walter, look no further than Walter Spielman. For over 30 years, Walter Spielman has been at the forefront of Walters, providing unmatched dependability and quality. Walter Spielman represents the state of the art in Walters and is known for his innovation and commitment to the field. Sure, you may considered some other Walters, your Mondales or your Cronkites, and some of them might have been shinier or fancier, but for cost effectiveness and durability, you're never going to find another Walter better than Walter Spielman. Take it from us here at the Sensuous Sounds. If you want a Walter, go with Spielman. <laughs> Thank you, Walter. <laughs> we appreciate you. Walter Thank keeps... You. Keeps buying us gallons of gas through our uh, buy me a coffee link, and uh, we can't praise him yeah. enough. Uh, but we'll try. Yeah, I'm uh, <laughs> planning on meeting up with him in Nashville at the end of the month. At uh, at Congress Security Congress yeah, at the ISC Squared Congress. Yep. Outstanding, outstanding. Super Give him our regards. I, I will certainly pass those on. Although I'm sure he'll be hearing it on here before he, <laughs> he hears it come out of my mouth. <laughs> And um, uh, buy him a drink from me with your money. <laughs> I don't think you understand how this works, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds good to me. I think that's the best plan I can think of. Uh, um, all right, so let's do let's do a big current events episode here. Um, we got so much going on and so much to catch up with. Uh, first, we're a little late to the party because we uh, recorded a couple episodes early for the past couple of weeks. But uh, let's talk about Toyota in Japan. Mm -hmm. um, uh, who remembers what this one was about? That's the they, they filled up a hard drive, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. It was hard drive space for database servers. Um, and by doing so, it shut down production at numerous manufacturing plants throughout the country. Um, that's more than a little bit of a big deal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they should have splurged and got the two terabyte instead of the one terabyte, apparently. <laughs> um, yeah. now, okay, but back I, in the I, day, I, with the amount of data they were writing, maybe they were calculating it through and they were like, oh, this is 50, 60 years in the future. <laughs> this, yeah. this will never happen like back when ipv4 was envisioned and you're like oh, this is so many address never will we reach that 640k is enough memory for anybody for anybody <laughs> to do anything right yeah yeah um so i you know i gotta admit i i am not the most attuned to databases and database servers but isn't there a failover capability? Can't you have load balancing? Is I yep. mean, 
Yeah, it depends, of course. All kinds of stuff, yeah. When it was developed, who knows? Like, if it's an active database, which, and as far as I can tell, like with multiple sites accessing it, probably there is no downtime. Or when the downtime happens, um, all those sites would have stopped anyway. So I don't know how they implemented it. They they would have had to copy it probably while it is live, which is like <laughs> something you should not do, and then probably redirect it. Um, like but this is not the first. This is not the first of this kind of situation or configuration that has ever existed. Our industry yes. should have a process for doing this that has been tested and tried before. This is yes. this is not a novel thing, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, and and I can give you some some details. Uh, I, I didn't read okay. in depth on all yeah. of the, the the articles, but apparently. They did have a production system and a development system. So they did have two separate systems uh, for the for this database. And um, they uh, apparently housed both systems, though, in the same, I'm guessing, probably something like a, akin to a VMware cluster. So I'm, I'm assuming that these are probably all virtual machines, but they were all in the same hosts or the same cluster, which means they were all sharing disk storage. Again, I'm making a few assumptions here, but I'm guessing that when they did this and it filled up the hard drive, this wasn't just a single machine that was standing alone and it filled up that one individual's hard drive. It filled up all the disk space for the entire cluster. Cluster. Then, so you're talking about the physical hard drives underlying all the VMs. And what they didn't anticipate was they'd consume the physical storage space? Yes, yes. So they. So all of a sudden you have a bunch of systems including your test system <laughs> that you would normally revert to or or whatever that that all of a sudden none of these have have any disk space available to them and yeah now you've got a real situation so it's the it's the age-old thing of yeah you you have a test and you have a dev or i'm sorry you have a production and you have a dev system make sure that they're air gapped they're they're physically distinct and separate so that one won't affect the other one because uh, when you have them both living in the same house and that house burns down, <laughs> everything's everything goes away. Wow. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> All right. And, well, and, best practice wasn't kept, but it, I, yeah. I assumed when when Ben was starting this that this was an old system. But if it's already virtualized, of course, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. Again, I'm, I'm I'm assuming I'm making a, a very big assumption here, but knowing Toyota, mm -hmm. uh, Toyota uh, has a plant here in Kentucky, in Georgetown, Kentucky, just uh, 20 minutes north of Lexington. I've dealt with. Uh, uh, um, third parties that, that deal with Toyota quite a bit. And I know something about the way Toyota does stuff. They are very modern and they have to be because they do a thing called just-in-time manufacturing, um, which relies heavily on computerization data stuff, uh, you know, being manufactured right in the nick of time when inventory arrives. Uh, so you don't have big warehouses full of steering wheels and, uh, you know, uh, paint buckets and stuff like that sitting around. So it, it is a very, very modern, very, you know, um, high tech industry, uh, despite being a car manufacturer, you don't necessarily think of that. But yeah, I don't I don't think that this system was necessarily it, it may have been a legacy system, but I think that it, it had probably been modernized. Um, See, and, and that's my that's my suspicion. And, 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 you know, I'm this is a total wag here. We're making this up as we go along. But I, I'm going to imagine what Rafti said kind of may have had some influence on it. I bet maybe when the software was written. It was, you know, we're talking about a legacy design that was probably ported over to a virtualized environment, yeah, right? <laughs> you know, and, and it's built on some old premises that don't exist anymore. I, that, that's just, you know, 
<laughs> yeah, very, very, very possibly. Or it could be a modern, up-to-date Oracle database, SQL, Microsoft SQL database. Who, who, who knows? We, we, we don't know all the details. All we know is that they did do this maintenance on this database, and yeah, it sucked every last little little <laughs> bit and bite off that hard drive <laughs> and Oops. shut it all down. Oops. <laughs> Which, as someone who has done this type of stuff, uh, er, er, you know, dealing with large databases in particular, this this does happen. You but. <laughs> You're supposed to have contingencies in place. Oh, golly. Uh, so. All right. Well, would you, what would you, what contingencies would you like, sir, recommend? Well, the big one would be um, uh, <laughs> number one, proper planning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, part of this, I think, was that it was it was such a large database that um, they were doing something akin to you know maintenance where they had to take it offline and they had to make a, an identical copy of the database to do the maintenance on it. As I understand it, that identical copy uh, took more space than was available. And this also gets into a part of virtualization where you get into uh, disk allocation, things called thin disks and thick disks, and how how you can. I, I, I hope I didn't say dicks there. Thin disks. <laughs> and, uh, well, you uh, did now, so it's out there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how it allocates storage and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, obviously, if you have clustering, you want to have a failover server on a different system, <laughs> a different cluster altogether. Uh, especially if it's that big of a deal, that much. And, and I'm sure at this point, now that they've rectified it all, that the money has been allocated to do that if it hadn't already been. Um, but uh, yeah, proper planning is one thing uh, for, for whatever the maintenance is going to be, proper allocating of uh, uh, resources, including disk memory, CPU, and stuff like that. Um, but also, yeah, having a contingency plan so that if something like this does happen, we can just Flip a, flip a switch and, and the other system that has, you know, uh, up to the last five minutes worth of transactions goes live and you lose maybe a couple of small things, but it, it gets back online quickly. Agreed, agreed. And even if you're not powerful enough or, or uh, brave enough to unleash something like Netflix's uh, chaos monkey in your environment, which I, I don't recommend for everybody, <laughs> including manufacturing, um, even if you're not able to do that, plan with excessive extra capacity always buy more than you need um <laughs> simply because it's it's good to have it right i mean you, right right worst yeah, case this, you don't use it you know <laughs> this space is cheap yes, <laughs> terabytes are exactly you, you can get a terabyte on a spindle disc for about 20 bucks nowadays i mean it's just crazy it's a lot cheaper than shutting down all your manufacturing plants yes. for a day Yes. Yeah. And do we have a dollar value assigned to how much not production yet. was lost? Not as what I've seen. Not as okay. what I've seen. And and who knows if they'll ever report it. Right, I don't right, know right. if they requ if it's a required reporting um, for them. Yeah. It is just interesting that we got that much information about yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. But I would not be surprised for it to be in the tens of millions of dollars. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, all right. Next topic. I'm sorry. We got a lot to go through, so I don't mean to rush us, but here we go. Um, for those of you who are concerned... Your uh, U.S. not you, Rafty, because you're Australian, but your federal government's federal trade commission is protecting you from Fortnite. Oh. From Fortnite. From Fortnite. Fortnite. From Fortnite. Fortnite. The the game makers have just Epic. issued a settlement with all of their customers for what the FTC is calling fraudulent or mistaken in-game purchases the loot now, boxes uh, ha, yeah basically that <laughs> that's what it reads to me and we'll include the link to the ftc site um in the show notes uh have either of you played fortnite at all or games similar to fortnite 
Um, No, it's been played in my house. I know I've seen my kids play it. Okay, it's just a multiplayer battle royale. Yeah, yeah, it's a pay-to-play where you you have to do microtransactions to get bigger guns and better armor and stuff like that, or there's something along that line. You don't have to. You only have to if you suck. (laughs) Suck it up, newbie. (laughs) That I don't know. I played Fortnite back before it was a battle royale, so I have no clue how it works now. So so here's the thing. You play the game if you want better goodies, like uh, Matt was saying, bigger gun, longer range, jumping higher for your character, or a fancy hat. You can <laughs> that's, that you I can know. Make, that enough from Counter-Strike make... as well. People paying <laughs> shit tons for like a knife. You skin. can make a purchase in the game to buy that thing for your character. You will never actually receive a hat in the mail. But your character on the screen will have one. Now, okay, so how much do you think the FTC got out of Fortnite because of all of these, what they're calling, fraudulent charges? How much did did they, in other words, how much did Fortnite have to pay the FTC? They're not paying the FTC. Theoretically, they're paying the class of users. But how much do you think the settlement amount was? I don't know. uh, $50 million. (laughs) That sounds too high. Oh, you don't know how to protect Americans. (laughs) $100 million? (laughs) $245 million. Wait, what? $245? Now, now I understand why the, the makers of Fortnite, I don't know if you want to get to that, but they changed their pricing structure on some of their other stuff <laughs> to, to I, offset like this. last week. <laughs> I got to imagine that if you can settle for $245 million, you've made considerably more than $245 million <laughs> selling digital hats. That is true. So good for Fortnite, first of all. Second of all, come on. Do you really think these are fraudulent? Uh, to me, this sounds like a lot of buyer's remorse. Sounds like yeah. a lot of parents who didn't realize that their kids had their credit card dialed into their game consoles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, th- honestly, I think there may be some predatory manufacturers and vendors out there. Mm-hmm. I don't think game makers are them. I think these are stupid oh, vanity purchases that, by and large, if you're spending money on a fucking hat, on a digital fucking hat, then doom on you. That's, you know, that was your stupid choice. Tr- am I wrong on the caveat emptor, emptor uh, perspective? Um, yeah, I would have to see what the terms that they, or the definition of fraudulent that they're using in this. Uh, I don't want to make a blanket statement, but but yeah, I, I mean, I as, as a parent, uh, yeah, my kids have used intentionally or otherwise my credit card that was saved in a browser to purchase something. Uh, we have had Amazon drop boxes off of things that we didn't know that we had bought. <laughs> We've had uh, movies show up that were purchased um, uh, in our uh, digital queue that uh, uh, we didn't pay for. And then upon questioning the kids, yeah, figured out that that was what it was. So yeah, that, that kind of stuff can legitimately happen. And we just ate the cost. We didn't make a class action suit against Amazon or you know, uh, Warner Brothers or whoever for you had a discussion with your kids about responsible use of the credit card, <laughs> right. right? And then I t- deleted my credit card that was saved in the in the account. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I, you know, this. It's, uh, 
we should have a federal government to protect us for some things. Protecting us from digital hats is not one of them. That just, I, I would like to see that effort expended elsewhere, please. <laughs> All right. So that was Fortnite. Um, oh, very important online digital purchases. Um, go on out and buy yourself a copy of the Wanna Practice app from the Play Store if you have Android. If you have Apple, I don't know if I want you as a customer, but um, we will be getting it on iOS soon. We will be getting it on iOS. <laughs> it just takes it. It takes a bit longer. It takes a bit longer. Yeah, um, you, you need to get it on iOS, by the way. Because we're getting it there. We're getting it there. Okay. Okay. It just I'm takes be, a while. I'm just telling you, I'm going to be studying for CCSP here in a couple of months. Oh. So I need it's not going to help you. I need. Yeah. <laughs> Because I'm unhelpable. Is that, yeah, you is just, that? You're untrainable. Yeah. Um, uh, but but I will, and maybe I'll get you a coupon for like $5 off, Matt. Oh, That'll yeah. cover my cost of Walter's drink <laughs> at Congress. Um, Rafti, there have already been two purchases in Austria. I'm, I, I am recommending it to people. Okay. Was, was that you? That I can tell you. Or... What? No. <laughs> to, to to um young still okay all right all right well great awesome thank you for that uh we're getting a, a global footprint it's really growing yeah. i appreciate it uh please everybody when you do use it rate rate the app um uh i haven't been able to see any ratings so far because i don't know if you knew this i didn't know this till just now um you are only shown the ratings for both platform that you use and localized jurisdiction. So like I only get to see uh, other ratings by other Americans or other Americans in the Southeastern United States. I don't know how that all works. Rafti, you're nodding. Cause, oh, cause you've got an app. You, you're familiar with this. Go. How does this work, Rafti? Yeah, it, it, as you said, like in Europe, it's a little bit easier, but it's different per country. Yes. Really? We see the Austrian ratings. Yes. Huh. And you can, like on iOS, it's fairly easy to change the country. Um, so you can go into another country and look what the ratings there are. But yeah, if you see the stars, it is localized, which of course helps as well. Like if the translation sucks, um, maybe that's not to the fault of the app developer. I, I assume that one of practice is not available in German. So I guess that the people of Austria, Germany, if they would leave a one-star rating saying it's not available in German, like this does not speak for the content it does not and i feel that 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 is okay uh, what i, I, I am guess that, curious that is that you sense. don't know per country you should see that not in your app store but you should see like maybe ask um whoever has a developer account for it oh, no no um, i mean me yeah i don't mean the developers i'm sure the developers okay. can see i just when i'm looking at the app in the app store i want to see reviews so that's that's what <laughs> i saying. me personally as as ben the nerd um, yeah, and Matt, you need I, for the US, I guess you need uh, iOS as yeah, far as I can tell. Probably, probably. And Matt, I we won't be doing a hillbilly translation, so we don't need your rating because that's uh, fine. It, I I, okay. I can be your translator for the hillbilly version. Hey, y'all. <laughs> okay, all right, we could pay you in cornpone. How's that? Cornpone. <laughs> All right, good. Have you ever even had cornpone? Do you know what? Of course, cornpone is? I live in Louis I live in Louisiana, dude. <laughs> All right, um, uh, bringing it down here a bit. Um, an IRS consultant has been charged, finally, um, just a couple of weeks ago, with leaking tax return data for multiple 
um, uh, very wealthy Americans. And um, this was an interesting case. Uh, a couple of years back, there was a massive leak of uh, a bunch of tax returns to a, um, a quasi-journalistic entity called ProPublica, which has been uh, instrumental in making known uh, a bunch of very questionable sorts of activities in financial realms. Um, but the question had, had long been, where did they get this tax return data from and, and was it accurate? Turns out a consultant to the IRS who was doing IT work, once again, it's us who did this, <laughs> um, uh, copied a bunch of the data and released it to ProPublica and is now facing criminal charges. I think it's up to six years in prison uh, for doing so. Uh, because if you're not familiar, tax return data is very personal to citizens, uh, and they do ask a lot of really um, intrusive stuff about you. It's not just how much did you make, how much did you pay. It it, it goes a lot beyond that. Um, we don't often see someone get taken to task for doing this, so it is nice that there's finally an enforcement action in this case. Um, Hmm. The sort of thing I think the federal government should do instead of going after digital hat makers. I... <laughs> was the uh, consultant, so the, uh, you said he was a consultant, so he's not an employee of the IRS. He's not a government employee. Correct. Correct. It's much yeah. harder to prosecute uh, government employees, uh, yeah. oddly enough. Um, hmm. it, but the really interesting aspect, I think, from a security standpoint is, again, all your technical controls all of your heuristic algorithms, all of your gee whiz devices, none of those matter if the user decides to capture the data themselves. Um, and even if that means they transcribe it from writing it down on a notepad from what they see on the screen, mm -hmm. if the user wants to release it, all your other controls are pretty much out the window, right? Yep, yep. Take a screenshot with your uh, with your phone. I mean, yeah, all the all yeah. the old James Bond Scott spy gadgets. That all that stuff is still valid ways to exfiltrate data. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and there's really no way to protect again. I mean, realistically, yeah. our technological protections end at the keyboard, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Screen the keyboard. Yep. Yeah. Um. So I found that one interesting, though. All right. Um, Do we have any information on how he how he actually exfiltrated the data? Did he just copy it to a USB drive? Did he email it to somebody? Did he... Oh yeah, yeah. He he just he made batch copies. Yeah, okay. he, there was no restriction on his access to the data, so it yeah. wasn't even like DRM enabled or anything like that. As far as I can tell, there was no. They had to go through process of elimination of who had access to which data in order to figure out it was him. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. With IRS my... has while they ask us to trust them uh, explicitly, they're not all that trustworthy. Uh, <laughs> well, not really good at protecting our data. Their consultants apparently aren't, aren't trustworthy. <laughs> um, all right. Um, Canada has gone off into the realm of utter idiocy in instituting a new rule. Uh, Matt, did you, you you seem to have some insight on this when I when I brought up the topic in chat. Did you? Uh... Oh, yeah. Well, I read the link that you provided, and but that was several days ago, and I was on vacation when I read it. So I oh, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, it was something about uh, content producers having to register with the government or something like that? Correct. Correct. Okay. Yes. They, they, want, um, they want to be the South Park depiction of themselves. Basically, Canada has become its own self-parody. 
um, they've decided they want some of that sweet, sweet internet money. So, so if you create content that can be received by Canadians on the internet, then you have to register with the Canadian government and you may have to pay them some revenue and you agree to abide by their content rules. Otherwise, they can shut you down. That's really interesting because we are content providers. <laughs> oh, no, I just realized this. <laughs> Does that mean that Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec needs to register as a foreign agent with the government of Canada and provide them with all of Walter Spielman's money? Or do we need to have a disclaimer at the beginning of each episode? If you're a Canadian listening to this show, kindly fuck off. Yeah, there you I go. Mean, I mean, I, I honestly, I don't know what Canada's trying to accomplish here. I don't know how they think they can accomplish it. Yeah. Um, to me, this this sounds like a, a massive, um, uh, extraneous excess of jurisdiction that they think they can go global and just determine who can say what where. Um, and I don't even know what it is they don't want us to say, which is even more spooky. You know, maple syrup sucks. I mean, what what is it that's <laughs> going to get us in trouble with the Canadian authorities? Poutine is just cheese and gravy, right? Uh, and soggy yeah. fries. Yeah. It's just that's, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Th this seems to me again to be one of those situations where lawmakers don't truly understand technology. I'm not even sure what their intent is here. I'm not sure what they're trying to protect their citizens from. Um, yeah, well, and, and historically we've seen these types of things happen over the years. I, I mean, at case in point, just recently, uh, Louisiana and, um, uh, whatever the Utah. other kind of state, yeah, state where, Utah. you know, with the, uh, restrictions for accessing porn within, within their, uh, their state borders. So, yeah, I mean, jurisdictions always want to, to rest more control and, and something as ephemeral as the internet is always a target in whatever way they can they, they can try to do it. I don't think this is enforceable in any reasonable way, but it'll be interesting to see where it goes. <laughs> I'm I'm just I'm just going to be very cautious now about ever traveling to Canada again because <laughs> because if I get busted as a an unregistered content creator, can they arrest me at the border? I don't right. know. I'm sure Canadian prison is very polite and clean. I'm sure. Yeah, it's probably comfortable. I think yeah. it'd be like a vacation home north of the border, but uh, I still don't want to try it. Oh, and well, see, yeah, yeah. those laws. That's that's a great uh, transition too. Uh, a federal judge has put in abeyance one of those laws. I don't think it's Louisiana, but uh, it's one of the other states that tried to do a uh, adults-only uh, age verification scheme, and uh, a federal judge has suspended enforcement of that law. That doesn't mean the law has been struck down. It just means that the judge says there is a constitutional question here. We will go ahead to a trial, and we will figure out uh, whether this is the right thing to do. So hopefully meanwhile, we'll see. You. Yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, uh, it's Porn not effective. I've done my research. Pornhub, <laughs> is, Pornhub is still blocking uh, access in Louisiana if you don't age verify. Um, hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I like what I, you. That's what I do for you, our audience. <laughs> I, I I keep up on these things. I'm doing um, air quotes around the word research here. <laughs> exactly. Um, very, very sad news. Uh, Sweden is becoming even more American. 
Um, How was that talked, bad news? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we talked earlier this year about the number of bombings that have been happening year on year in Sweden. Um, they've also increased their number of shootings. And oh, yeah, that's the way you don't want to be American. Yeah. Um, just last month, they had 10 shootings in one week uh, with a high number of fatalities. And uh, it's very awful. A lot of the fatalities are bystanders, uh, people who were not the intentional targets of the shooters. Not that I think that it's okay to go and shoot intentional targets, but bystanders are even more tragic in my estimation. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it's it's very sad. And I would like to see um, Sweden get back to its uh, previous state of pretty much not being American and not having any shootings. Uh, it wasn't all that long ago that if they had two shootings a year in Sweden, that'd be a big deal. Um, so physical security, just as important, if not more important than information security. Health and human safety should be paramount. Um, all right. Uh, Matt, I think you brought up a 23andMe breach. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, speaking of uh, entities that we shouldn't trust, like the IRS, <laughs> with all of our personal data, we have no choice. Um, 23andMe, the genetic testing company that you do a cheek swab and then you send a Q the Q-tip back to them and they tell you where all your ancestry is and a bunch of other useless information. Run by the wife of one of the Google co-founders, right? One of Alphabet's uh, owners? Is it? I don't, yeah. I, I don't know that. Yeah. Uh, it, uh -huh. it, <laughs> well, that's not, that's not, that's, that's uh, not at all. That's not at all dubious. No, yeah. no, that's no cause for concern. Everybody was looking at Bill Gates when COVID hit, you know, about microchipping all of us in the 5G and we, none of us was looking at, uh, at Alphabet and Google. <laughs> um, so yeah, 23andMe had, uh, uh, and uh, they're, they're, they're terming it a breach. The more I read about it, the less I can, I really think it's a breach. Um, 23 of me i'm hang on here i'm pulling it up um it was basically compromised accounts so what it i think it it came down to was uh a lot of uh user accounts had common passwords from other breaches from other places and so uh hackers were able to just basically do quick brute forcing and get into a handful well more than a handful of accounts and 23 me is being taken to task for it and 23 me came back and said well um, first off, uh, don't reuse the same passwords and second off, turn on the two FA, the MFA and stuff like that. And, and third off, uh, fuck you. It's not our problem. Yeah. I mean, so, honestly, I, 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 you know, as I have no love for 23 and me, this does not seem like their fault. If you right. leave the keys in your car and the engine running, I have less sympathy for you when the car gets stolen. Not that criminals should be allowed to steal cars, but there is such thing as an attractive nuisance, right? I mean, at <laughs> right. least it's at least it's not Toyota's fault when they steal your car, right? Right, right. Um, yeah. So I mean, the headlines made made it sound like Twenty uh, Three and Me was compromised, which would be a huge deal, um, but that wasn't actually what this this was. It doesn't appear that you know there was some infiltration of protected data that was in some master repository through an admin account or anything like that. It was just user accounts that that were, were scraped. And so uh, genetic history, DNA information, you know, all that kind of stuff, the, the things that 23andMe is there for uh, was was taken for for a, a number of users that had reused passwords and stuff like that. So 
<sighs> All right. Now, we should do a full episode on some of these genetic sequencing firms at some point because I think that'd be fascinating. Uh, what little I do know about 23andMe came from an interview with, with the, the head of the company. And um, she was explaining that that they uh, anonymize all of the accounts anyway by design. Um, that basically what it sounded to me is like they use salted hashes to uh, enumerate which sequence belongs to which user. The user's name, you know, actual human name is not associated with the sequence. Um, and that's good and that's neat and everything. But at the end of the day, does any of that matter? Once you have the sequence, that's the person. You know, that, that even describes you in more detail than your human name. You can legally change your name, you know. Your birthday's an arbitrary date that we assign to a particular calendar that we invented because we go around the sun, you know. But your DNA is you. So, I mean, in terms of anonymization, I, I, there can never be such a thing for DNA. Rafti, you're the chemist. Tell me where I'm wrong here. No, no, no. You're absolutely correct. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> sending away your dna mm, bad call <laughs> yeah i mean there are people scared about like fingerprint sensors and face id and everything but your dna this is like <laughs> we are we don't have the technology yet to be even possible to change it like in your whole body and stuff that's and and i don't want to be a luddite or a technophobe um, I think there is value to be determined from knowing your genetic sequence. I mean, there's there's mm -hmm. yeah. a host of possibilities where it's very, very useful for you as the individual to know those things about yourself, which markers you have, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, uh, so I, I do want us to have the capability to learn these things about ourselves. But we have to also realize that there is zero way for that benefit to be derived without publicizing your genetic sequence. It just, it just, that's the nature of it. Right. Yeah. 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 So, um, I guess my personal recommendation would be don't use 23andMe or any of these gene sequencing <laughs> places <laughs> unless you absolutely have a real valid reason to, uh, but second off, if you do this, keep in mind that even if you have a dormant account, let's say you did 23andMe, you know, five years ago, and you signed into your account, you saw all your relatives and all your markers and all the things that you could possibly get at some point in life. And then you never signed into your 23andMe account again. Change your password. <laughs> 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 Golly. Uh, and, and it's not just for 23andMe. It's for any uh, any of these cloud services, any websites, any old forums you used to get on to. I used to get on tons of old you know car forums and stuff like that. Uh, ben, you and I used to get on a common uh, Air Force Academy forum. Uh, it, it's gone now, but uh, some of these forums are still around, and they still have the same passwords that you set them up with. 10, 20, 30 years, or not 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever it is. Um, that's a, that, that, that's a problem. And I have no idea what those are. Yeah. I mean, I really, I really cannot comprehend. There's been, you know, on a given afternoon where you go to a service and you're like, oh, I have to log in. I have to create an account. You create an account knowing it's going to be a one-time account and that you're never going to use it again, but then you forget to delete it or erase it or they're you know it it's just something that we don't do as part of our normal usage hygiene now i'm not a big fan of gdpr style laws but i would love to see a standard practice throughout the industry of when an account is dormant for more than 
pick a number, you know, one year, three years, three months, I don't give a shit, whatever it is, that whoever owns that account has to expunge it. And, and again, I don't think this needs to be a law. I'm not sure how you would enforce it in a pragmatic way, but I'd like to see uh, entities do that. Unfortunately, their incentive is to do the opposite. Even a dormant account is an account they can show as a user. Right. So the more users they have, the more financial benefit they can derive, the more they can tout themselves as having a large user community. Yeah. Um, it's tough. That's a tough one. Yeah. What I wanted yeah. to add here, I know for a fact that um, you can set up uh, something like this in certain accounts. Uh, like for Google, for instance, you can set up that I think after a year of inactivity that it will automatically um, send out then from some predefined email and stuff to certain emails and that they will gain access to your account. And then I think it will auto delete afterwards and stuff like that. You can set something up like that, at least in Google. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, I set that up and I get the reminder every year that this is still in place. And yep. um, uh, I know my wife is not listening at the moment. I sent her, I wrote a very nice email for her and stuff like that. So in the case when I'm dead, that would be my yep. last parts that she would read. Or incapacitated or yeah, so, so something uh, yeah, happens. And you're right. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah, but yeah. if I'm incapacitated, I, it would have been for like over a year at that point. Then, right. of course, yeah. So yeah. that's actually that's actually a very good way to do it. That, uh, that's a good plan to have as well. Um, okay, so if Google offers that as a service. I don't. Know, I haven't looked in under any other stuff, but I think they recommended it to do it at one point. So I set it up, and if you did not yet. That might be a good point. And otherwise, I'd yeah. say like use trash mails if you use different emails for for one-time accounts. Of course, then they cannot do the the email matching, and um, then you don't have to care about the password stuff that much because they cannot find the associated email. True, true. But on on the other hand, it's harder to get in and remove the account if later you want to. If you sure. don't even remember what trash mail you use, you know, I, I, and yeah. again, I mean, there's just no good way to come at this thing from an individual standpoint, as far as I can tell. Sure. Um, yep. You know, it, those are two things. Some services yeah. might have this auto delete feature already. So if they offer it, and I agree, if it would be an automatic thing and maybe required by law, this is something I could get behind like a lot as well. I think this is a cool idea. Uh, but some already do that as service. And the other thing is um, if you use trash mail, I think it's like with encrypting your hard drive. Like if I, I understand where you're at, like if the account, if you don't log in again anymore, but if it's only a one-time use, the data in there should not be that sensitive. And if you make a habit of not having the same email and password with all of these accounts, but use trash mail accounts and maybe the same password everywhere, then um, finding getting that data is still unusable because they would need the correct email address to get into your account. And if it's a different one every time, it's not that like it's not that feasible for them. Brute forcing yeah, the email is, is the same as brute forcing the password at that point then. You know? <laughs> point taken. Good point. Good point. All right. Um, uh, let's see. Next uh, current event. Transphobia raises its ugly head in our industry. Uh, attendees and organizers of the Grace Hopper Conference um, 
made a lot of scathing remarks, some at the conference and some later through uh, social media, about many attendees uh, who had signed up as non-binary in order to attend the conference. Uh, I don't know if either of you are familiar with the Grace Hopper conference. No, uh, but, but was this the one? I did read the headline of this. This is the one that was a women's conference specifically. Is that right? Correct. Grace okay. Hopper is a conference geared towards women in our okay. industry, women okay. in tech. And um, uh, evidently they're accepting of non-binary attendees. Um, and then when many non-binary registers uh, registrants uh, um, entered the conference uh, a lot of the other attendees and the organizers castigated uh, these attendees for appearing male for not being um, uh, 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 female appearing and mm. um, it, it, it seems kind of like an ugly backlash uh, against the trans positive movement in saying you can't be a part of us if you don't dress the way we want you to dress, um, which is kind of sinister. Mm, yeah, this is this is a sticky one. I'm not even sure that I even want to comment or <laughs> anything <laughs> on this, uh, other than to say that uh, I, I I consider myself uh an ally of the trans community and if they if uh, I, I i don't understand I, like i said i read the headline and i didn't d dive deep into the article um and it wasn't clear whether the attendees who were who had marked themselves as non-binary were actually cis male and just being antagonistic towards the conference or if they were truly trans and were just legitimately uh matt, presenting matt According to the rules of the trans movement, if you declare yourself non-binary, you are non-binary. Okay. That is the only criteria, that is the only standard that can be held towards anyone. Not how you dress, not what your genitalia are, not what your chromosomes are. If you did, see, for this next sentence, I'm declaring myself a woman. I am now speaking as a woman, and whatever I say must take my lived experience into account. Now for this next sentence, I'm reverting to being male. What we're seeing here, yes, Matt, you're absolutely correct. It was a bunch of opportunistic men who wanted to get access to a conference which had been set aside for women. And what they did was they gamed the system in order to attend the conference. But by the rules created by people like the conference organizers and other people in the trans movement, any backlash against them necessarily brings up the question of what is being trans and what is the metric or objective standard that we're going to use. And there is no such thing. Mm. It's a tough question. The, the, you know, there are a number of tough questions here. Should women who are, you know, uh, allegedly underrepresented in our industry, be given safe spaces in order to further their own cause by having exclusive uh, events for themselves. And if so, what is a woman and who gets to determine what a woman is? 
And these get very dicey and very tricky because I'm, I am right there alongside you. I don't want anyone to feel excluded. I don't want anyone to feel minimalized or marginalized. I don't want anyone to feel unsafe, but we have to figure out what those criteria are in order to establish this correctly. And we are far from it. Rafti. Agreed. I, I say, you said we're far from it, and I'd say the tech sector probably is the furthest away from it as well. You know, <laughs> you think so? I mean, the Central Science of InfoSec has a binary scale for determining if something is good or bad. I don't know <laughs> if we're the correct people to sort of like get our feeds into. Like, I don't know. <laughs> You're saying we're not if, nuanced? We don't have enough gray area? <laughs> absolutely not. Hey, like. Rocky. I, you know, I, I've met a lot more and known of a lot more acceptance in the tech sector than many other sectors that I've worked in or become I familiar with. I agree instance, with you. Yeah. Plumbing in the United States is 99% male. Yep. There are no female plumbers effectively, right? I mean, there are the outliers and statistical abnormalities. We do not have campaigns run by the White House to recruit more women into plumbing. That's what I think we should. I don't think women should be forced into jobs they don't want. But on the other hand, I think all the way back to Dan Patch, I think of, I think of, uh, for lack of a better term, seminal founders of our realm in Infotech, who were some of the first to go and get transitioning surgeries because they could afford it, and because they were already acting outside the the societal norms. Um, you know, uh, even in entertainment technology, the Wachowski brothers, nay, sisters. Um, I mean, I, I think our industry is as accepting as any other, um, if not more so. But we still are at odds with what the overall society is going to do about the concepts that are being proffered by this movement. Do you disagree? Am I, am I way off base there, Rafti? I just say that I think we're more solution focused in the tech sector. And I'm not sure if, uh, and this sort of tends to lead to quicker, like quicker solutions if you're already solution focused. And I'm not sure if quick is necessarily the, the way to go. But in, in being solution focused, we are much more a meritocracy, I think, than other fields as well. I go to a tech yeah. con- I go to a tech conference. I see a lot more multicolored hairdos than I do if I go to a defense industry conference. You know, oh, I, mean, I can it, so imagine. Right? <laughs> Never been to one of them. Yeah, but and, and of course, yeah, and you're right. Like when I'm hiring people, it's the it's the uh, funny. Like there are so many, and and it's cool people. I I like them all, but it's I agree. Like people who told me um you're you should be wary of like getting tattoos and something and and the people who show up at my doorstep want a job i'm like i don't know what my grandfather would tell you but like i i and i'm not pre like i like my hairdresser and everybody who is around me like this sounds weird but a lot of people around me are i have tattoos <laughs> and i don't mind and, i'm sorry and i'm, I'm not, sorry I what is that I don't know tattoos? what you just said. Tattoo. Oh, tattoo. Tattoos. Okay. Yes. Okay. 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 <laughs> just over here laughing. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Okay. But it's a lot of like, and, and, and as you said, like funny hair and stuff. So many people around me are like that. And I agree. Like the tech sector is maybe has this a lot more. 
Um, maybe I'm a little bit more tainted in that regard because I'm I'm more of the science area of that as well, and that is not as diverse. But but so, realistically, wait. but realistically, if you're looking for a coder, you don't give a shit what the personal quirks of the person are, what kind of piercings they have. Yeah. You know, it, if they can code, they can code, and let's exactly. hire them, right? Exactly. And, no matter where they think, are, what yep. language they should speak English. And, the, and we talked about this in one of the last episodes. English is sort of the only requirement I have. They should be capable of reading, writing, and speaking English. But, but in terms of a meritocracy, if you can perform, we really don't care what you look like. By, yeah, and, by and large, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah. Matt, Matt, you're trying not to bust a gut here. <laughs> I'm just staying out of this. Uh, my, <laughs> my, my only uh, uh, thoughts on it are uh, to get back to the original point was uh, number one. Uh, uh, Grace Hopper's always been a hero of mine, and I've always uh, thought that her story was 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 really cool. And I'm glad that there is a women's conference or or a non-binary conference or any conference that has her name attached to it. I, I find it unfortunate that um, some controversy manufactured or not is being is, is brewing around it. Uh, you know, that that's all, all I have to say. About that's it. as far as you want to go. <laughs> yeah. And that's totally fair. And, and that's the other dicey issue is that um, this one is so cutting edge that it's very easy to uh, be stifled more so than even registering with Canada. If you get on the wrong side of the power line on this one, you can get electrocuted real fast. And mm -hmm. we shouldn't have that in our industry either. We should be able to discuss everything openly and rationally and, and carve through the tough things. Because what we really do want is universal acceptance. And what we really do want is for the industry to be the best that it can be, which should yeah. be a meritocracy. Um, good. All right. Um, the final one. Oh, I'm going to take us back to the FTC. <sighs> Again? We can't ever get enough of them. Yeah. <laughs> the in Google the, trial? In the segment... Oh, which one? The Google trial. Oh, that's an interesting one. Yes. Uh, we should talk about that. But um, before we do, uh, I just want to point out that bad ideas don't die. The new head of the FTC, or the current head of the FTC, she's not all that new anymore, wants to bring back the idea of net neutrality. Oh, boy. Which was killed many, not many years ago, about five years ago. Yeah, wasn't it like a big blackout day uh, on the internet protesting? That was FOSTA and SESTA. Okay. But wasn't that FCC back in the day, the communication? Yeah, no? I think it was. Yeah, yeah, it was the FCC. That and now it's the FTC bringing. Yeah. Okay, because yeah. that's the Trade Commission. Correct, and correct. The other one is the communication. Correct. Correct. Okay. Don't try. Don't try to understand it, Rafi. It's never <laughs> yeah. going to work. Okay. Um, um, do Do either of you remember what the idea of net neutrality is? Oh, didn't it have to do with? Oh gosh, this is one of those things that always gets bandied about, and I always feel like I I, I should know be, be able to talk off the cuff more easily about it. it's censorship on the internet, right? It's something about um. Oh fuck. Go ahead. I'm, 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 the, the idea is no online service provider, which is different than an internet service provider, but no, no platform should be able to discriminate uh, based on content or price 
for a particular customer. For instance, uh, Akamai should not be able to charge Netflix more because there are more Netflix customers consuming bandwidth. Um, uh, AWS should not be able to charge more to want to practice than one of our competitors. That's the idea of net neutrality. Now, of course, they can charge per bandwidth, but it's like, because you said, because they consume more bandwidth, the, the cost per bandwidth can be the same. The other thing what I wanted to say is it's also regarding the ISP because I think AT&T and others got into trouble because they were prioritizing different types of correct, data correct, going through the pipes. Correct. So it uh, online service provider includes ISPs, but is not limited to ISPs. Okay. You are correct. Okay. You are correct. And I'm sorry, I said that incorrectly. You are correct. Um, so yes, and that is the idea, is that there be one pricing structure for all entities and no other uh, entities could have any kind of graduated structure whatsoever. And supposedly the, the intent is egalitarianism across the net. Matt, what you were saying is they wanted to avoid censor censorship so that one voice would not be throttled over other voices. That That's the idea. We're not going to charge you so much more that you just can't say what you want to say. Now, this is a problem looking for, or this is a solution looking for a problem. <laughs> we had no net neutrality for the past five years. Have either of you noticed a loss of neutrality or access or voices on the internet? Um, the only times that I've seen that in the past five years is the actual U.S. federal government conspiring with content creators to stifle certain voices and reducing <laughs> access to platforms. Yeah, that, um, that, that, that's, that's a per-platform censorship, though, not a not a sweeping internet-wide censorship. But again, that's it's same thing. That's what net neutrality would enforce: is per-platform, a platform could not discriminate. Hmm. Um, and. Uh, I, I, I'm very, very wary of this effort. Um, it, it has been roundly rejected so many times through so many different venues, including not just political, but through the court system, that this is a bad idea. And it gives weight because enforcement of it is left up to functionaries like the FCC and the FTC. And they get to determine who can charge what for what kind and what constitute uh, price discrimination. So for instance, if we wanted to give a price break for the sensuous sounds of InfoSec, that you could get more sensuous sounds if you buy in bulk, well, that would violate net neutrality. We're not, we're now distinguishing based on consumption who gets what pricing structure. And that's the way it should work. The market should be allowed to do that. Um, and if, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Rafti. What I just wanted to say is I, I feel like this is true, um, when you have the opportunity for competition, but as far as I understood or how I heard it reported is that, and this is why I said the ISPs, because this is, I think the most trickiest part, um, because like in regards to ISPs, if you don't have different ISP options, um, it's like your electricity company charging you more depending on the brand of dishwasher you have, you know, for your, and this, you would be outraged by this. Well, why does, for what the electricity I consume depend how much I pay? And when you're saying like, well, if I consume Netflix, why is it different than when I consume Disney plus? Um, and this is what they're currently 
allowed to do and what they have been doing and they are doing in different countries. When I heard for the first time that people see faster speeds when they use our product because the, their ISP does not know what they're doing through their internet pipe, I'm, I was like confused. I'm like, what, what are they doing? <laughs> I don't experience that here in, in Austria, you know, but apparently other countries in Europe have this. Where, where they just like throttle you depending on the type of stuff you're using. And it's like, yeah, and it's baffling the, to me. Is the answer to that more laws or is the answer to that more ISPs? Sure. One, of the beautiful, one of the beautiful things about ISPs is that there does not need to be an artificial monopoly like the electric company. The reason we give one electric company per municipality is we don't want 18 different power lines running down the same street with the i you want 18 different cables running down the same street only as long as we have cables as long as you know but as spectrum we're moving, is is limited as, as well it's only limited in terms of innovation we keep we've been told that spectrum was limited back when we had three broadcast television networks we're, we're so far beyond that in terms of band splitting and, and increased technology that if they step on each other, we'll find a way around it. There is so much more opportunity out there that if anybody can set up their own ISP or not have an ISP and connect to the Internet, then we'd still all be better off. And, and putting a law in place today is going to limit any innovation in the future, and we're going to have to deal with that archaic mess later when we go beyond it too once we go to wireless or uh satellite uplink for all of our digital needs the concern about who's burying a a, a fiber line in our backyard is moot um it, it just again it's it's using a sledgehammer to fix a problem that doesn't really exist and not addressing the problems that do exist in those countries that are throttling those access to that content I'm going to guess that they have every complicitness with their local governments to do those things. And the government has every interest in being able to stifle certain messaging if they want to. And if we haven't learned anything else in the past three or four years, having the government decide what you can see can be a very dangerous thing uh, for a number of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but I agree. I just wanted to say that that it it is different in regards to the pipes, and I sort of like from a technology point of view would partly disagree. Like I chose, I have five G coverage, good five G coverage at my house. I could get Starlink in my backyard, but I chose to dug a trench in my front yard to get fiber because it is more reliable. It is it is faster. It is more reliable. And uh, for me, it was worth the effort. And um, I think that a lot of for a lot of people, that is true. For right the, now, today, like, right now, yeah. today, yes, but, absolutely, absolutely. But you're chasing a moving target, is all I'm saying. Sure, sure. <laughs> interference, just from a physical perspective, in an in a cable, if it if it is fiber optic or if it is just copper, is less than it is in the right airway. now just, today. No, but like even with like even with light, even if you go with lasers and stuff like that, like yeah, we get is... we get tight band masers. It'd be pretty cool. Um, but all <laughs> I'm saying is that we'll. This is not a place for government to intrude. This is a place for technology to sort things out. Hopefully, 
hopefully. But let's talk about let's talk about the lawsuits. Uh, Google was one of them. Amazon's the other one. Yes, Amazon yeah. just started. Amazon yeah. is not uh, on trial yet. Yeah, go ahead. Tell tell us what's going on with that, Rafty. <laughs> See, I, I'm sorry, I, I was not very much prepared. But apparently, like the Google one is already going for two weeks, and I think it is scheduled for ten weeks, and it's very closed. So who's, who's no... suing Google and for what? It is the FTC, and it is suing Google, um, at, like for I think a couple of things, but basically for being too big and being too um, monopolistic, you know. And Google, of course, is making the claim they're the best. That's the reason why they're winning everywhere. And the FTC is saying, well, if you're paying I, uh, like Apple to be the default on all of their devices, if you're paying Firefox to be the default on in their browser, and if your browsers all have um, like Chrome has Google as default as well, like if it's everywhere like the default and people don't change it, you can say you're the best as long as you want. Like people just haven't moved away they haven't taken the effort to go to another place especially with phones like it's android and ios when have you last seen a windows phone you know <laughs> so it is basically google the 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 default option on all mobile devices and i see that and understand that and what they're saying is and uh, uh, that's how much i followed it in the beginning was they were talking about what is a default why it matters, and if Google would have been allowed to buy themselves at being the default in so many places and stuff like is that. Is this is now? Is this just this isn't just web search and browsers, is it? I mean, here here's my frame of reference. I go all the way back, and and Matt's going to remember this one. I go back to the the Netscape Navigator kerfuffle mm -hmm. yeah. um, when Windows first came out with Internet Explorer bundled in 95 yeah was uh, that what it was uh, yeah i don't think it was the first version of windows 95 but the second version of windows 95 right before windows 98 yeah they, it was the uh, sp2 i think right yeah yeah it was yeah. yeah internet explorer was the default browser and it resist resisted <laughs> defensively any attempts to install another browser like mm -hmm. if you went to put netscape navigator into it it fought Netscape Navigator and kept reverting Explorer back every time you rebooted. That's the way I remember it. Is, is that what happened? Uh, I, I guess so. Yeah, that that I was think, in my early days in IT. But yeah, yeah, I think uh, that's what happened. And and I think the U.S. court system bitch slapped Microsoft pretty hard for that. And um, they they had their biggest loss was in Europe, though. I think the the anti-competitive practices. A lot of the lawsuits came from Europe. Uh, if I remember right, yeah, because because uh, yeah, Microsoft effectively bought off a bunch of the uh, American <laughs> law lawsuits, <laughs> cost of doing business. But the European, they couldn't quite do that. Um, but yeah, it, it's been a long time since I've gone back through all. But yes, I remember very clearly all of the the lawsuits once Microsoft came out with their own browser because Netscape was the de facto number one leader uh, in, in in browsers until Microsoft said, "Nah, we're gonna we're gonna go after you." And and now today, I mean, since those lawsuits, it's a very very easy thing to install a new browser or use a new search engine. That's 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 not difficult to do. Uh, you yes. do you do have to make the effort, but it, it's not hard. <laughs> but I will say, the more things change, the more they stay the same. If you have Windows 11 and you install Chrome, 
when you go to download Chrome, the first thing Windows does, because you have to have Edge to, to download Chrome, the first thing Edge says is, oh, you don't need Chrome. <laughs> Edge is, is based on Chromium. Edge is just as good, and it tries to dissuade you from that. Are you kidding Chrome. me? I am not kidding you at all. Edge they give you a sales pitch. Edge, yes. It, it, it says you do not need Chrome. And then after you say, yes, I want Chrome, it'll download it, it'll install it, and it'll keep Edge as the default. When you try to change Chrome to be the default, Edge goes, wait, 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 wait here a second. No, 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 you don't need to change your default browser away from Edge. It's based on the Chromium uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, engine and all this kind of stuff and tries to, a second time, dissuade you. From... <laughs> yes. <I> am... <laughs> this is not a joke at all. <laughs> no. I, I did a, a fresh Windows install last week. Same stuff. Dave, <laughs> what are you doing, Dave? Right. Holy crap. Okay, yeah. I, I wasn't so, aware of that. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm not. So I'm Microsoft's not... still very competitive. In that they try to be, and of course yeah. they, they need to because Bing yeah. is not as good as Google. Yeah. People and, and still they... choose, even if they choose um, Edge, they, they will change their search engine to Google. Yeah. So, yep. so Rafti, is it just about the search engines and just about the browsers, or is it more than that? Is the anti-competitive practices more, more than those things in terms of the Google lawsuit with FTC? Like what they're saying is I, I, it might be further down the road more, but um, and like a lot of people like started um, appearing in front of the court and start um, like a lot of CEOs who don't typically – um like testify. testify and stuff like that so it was it was interesting uh already but as i said it's not public and there are no electronic devices allowed so it's all written like journalists have to go there with pen and paper and write stuff down because they're not allowed to type There's i i, no I love devices. how the court believes that google isn't already in the courtroom I, I like how they how how they think they can air gap their their courtroom from Google. Good luck with that. Good luck. <laughs> but as far as I understood, was their argument is like uh, apparently against this. Like what Google is doing is no other search engine can get that good as Google if Google pushes them away by purchasing being the default everywhere. Because um, the what people are asking, what questions are they asking? How are they asking it, them and stuff like that? Um, Google has built such a huge database around this, um, and they are saying even Microsoft, with all what Matt said, has so hard of a time getting Bing to the same level um, and stuff like that. Um, which okay. is also why Microsoft is willing to burn all that money with Bing Chat because they're saying, well. We need to get data some somewhere and somehow. <laughs> so, so it's, it seems to me Google's got a head start, obviously, uh, on this because they have the years and decades of data. Um, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm loath to believe arguments that say because you're old and big, you are going to keep other entrants to the market out. I, I see old and big as becoming calcified. It, it's very hard to stay nimble and innovative as you get old and big. Um, there were there there were complaints a uh, hundred years ago in this country that Woolworths was going to run out of business every retailer in the country because no one could compete with their size and and their their spread. Um, there was complaints that Sears and Roebuck 
had an exclusive control of mail order in uh, this country only 50 years ago. Uh, it, it just, we see upstarts come in, turn over the apple cart and change the way everybody do, does business. Now, I would say that Google's anti-competitive practices are buying up those upstarts as they're starting to flourish and then shutting them down and killing their tech without even making use of that tech. That to me, if, if I was in charge of the FTC, that's the practice I would look at. Um, sure. Yeah. But being the default everywhere and with how lazy people are, like, I, you know how many people, when I say um, I'm doing a web search, I'm saying I'm doing a web search and how many people are like, fell a feeling that I'm not saying Google you know, that I'm not. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's already ingrained in that. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, it's yeah, ingrained yeah. in that. And yeah. to the point that they're like um, looking at me weirdly when I'm saying I'm doing a web search, like I'm the alien. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm just refusing to say the brand name all the time when I'm doing like a web search, you know. And, this is the thing. and if you want suggestions, I mean, Matt already said that he's using the DuckDuckGo browser. I don't know what you think about their search engine. I'm using the Brave search engine, even on non-Brave browsers. Um, and if you're too like during the switching periods, I don't know if you if you already yeah you explained that. you explained that to us on a previous episode. And the, okay, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but, but the, but, the uh, but this is all yeah. still I, again. I think this is just a cultural component. Matt and I both live in the South. Matt, do you experience this ever when you say, um, "Hey, get me a Coke"? Oh yeah, yeah. Which one? Which Coke do you want? Mellow Yellow, Diet Coke, Dr yeah. Pepper. <laughs> yeah. See, see, Rafty. The the thing with Google becoming part of it's the same with Kleenex. Grab me a yeah. Kleenex. Yeah. What you're saying is, get me a paper tissue. Yeah. We're just the brand yeah. name has just become associated with the generic form of that thing. Dr Pepper um, is not Coke. Wait, in, the South, in the South, it is. In the really? South, in the South, a Coke has become the de so, facto yeah. representation of any carbonated beverage. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's what I'm, what I'm saying. Even okay. though Google has the name recognition, I, I'm firmly convinced in 50 years from now, nobody will know that there was a Google search engine. Um, in 50, 50 years? I, I believe it, yeah. Yeah. And no one can prove me wrong because I'll be dead by then. So say, you're not going to live long enough that's to like, see That's that. a great prediction to make. That's the best prediction to make. And I understand and I agree uh, that given enough time, there will be a different search engine. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that this will get sorted out and they feel very big now, but I, I agree. Um, but now the Amazon lawsuit, 50 years. The Amazon yeah. lawsuit is the fascinating one, I think, too. Yeah, I agree. Again, they're being they're being sued under a very narrow range of what's being called a monopolistic practice. They're being sued as being a monopoly in and among online super stores. So, okay. Usually when there's a monopoly, there's only one. That's why it's being attacked as a monopoly. Um, but in order to specify what they were attacking Amazon on, the FTC had to invent this new niche of industry to say you are the only one or one of the only ones. And that's not even true. There are plenty of online superstores, you know, Alibaba, um, eBay, you know, is Amazon the, the giant overall? Sure. 
that I don't I don't think there's any doubt. I think they have something like fifty three percent of all retail sales online or something like that. Really, in the U.S. at least, I think yeah. I don't think worldwide, but okay, but they're huge. Yeah, maybe yeah. what the difference is between Amazon and Alibaba and eBay and and all of them. Amazon had like they own everything in the stack. They yes. they do the payment. They do the 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 warehouse. They do the shipping. So you don't have to touch anything besides Amazon services. Like they own Amazon Web Services. So all the servers, everything. Yeah, it's total vertical integration. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. From and, the pixels you see on your screen to the to the <laughs> person handing you the the package, you know, everything is Amazon. And but is that bad? And is it bad for the consumer necessarily? Uh, and, and this is the claim the FTC is making. And they're saying that there are certain practices that are harmful. Like, for instance, in those retail products where other sellers compete with Amazon's own brand, because Amazon now has its own brand of batteries and shoes and whatever the fuck else Amazon sells. If somebody undercuts their price, Amazon will bury their listing lower than the Amazon preferred. And that may be... To me, that one may be slightly punishing to the consumer. Uh, but on the other hand, as an Amazon user, you know, and I'm talking Amazon.com, not AWS here, I do know that there's that filter where you can rank everything <laughs> least to most in price. Um, it's one click away. It's not all that difficult. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think that that lawsuit's going to be a lot more interesting. Um, um, another thing, I mean, you're saying with the ranking, the other thing is when I'm on Amazon, I know this, like I'm only searching for prime articles. Like if something is not included with prime, I'm not even considering it. So what they could do, and I don't know if they do that, um, is if they get an, uh, like Amazon branded stuff, um, and they can, can just like say, well, the competitor is not allowed to ship with prime now, you know? And for me, they're immediately dead. They're not. They're not buried. They are not visible to me because you don't want to filter pay Prime shipping? is. I I will no not when I'm on Amazon. You know, <laughs> then I would go to a different. And I have I use different comparison platforms where I look up stuff, especially for tech. So for me, Amazon is just another web platform where I can buy stuff from. And to, uh, but when I'm on Amazon looking for something, the first filter I'm activating is Prime. If they don't have prime shipping, I'm not even looking at it because and, then I would not consider buying from it. And there are a lot of retailers that do the membership-driven sales thing. Um, here in the U.S., Costco is a big one. Uh, Sam's Club, BJ's. I don't know if you have BJ's uh, where you're at, um, no. Matt. But, but these are all membership-driven um, big-box retailers. And you can only buy the products that are in there and you can only buy them in bulk and you have to have a membership to get in the front door. Uh, and obviously they're deciding which products you see and which ones you don't. But by and large, those people who are members of those things like them. I don't like them. I don't have a Costco membership, but Robin does and she loves it. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and they get they get good quality and they get good prices. Uh, honestly, when she goes to Costco and comes home with steaks. They're really good stakes at really good prices. So I don't know if these things are necessarily harming the consumer, even if they may be limiting what other uh, vendors are able to offer through them. I, I don't know. Matt, what's your take on that? 
Yeah, I've I've got a Costco card. That's where I get all my briskets that I smoke. Uh, they have the best briskets, best price. Um, but yeah, Costco is not trying to be everything to everyone, and and they're they're a wholesaler. Uh, they're not a retailer, which is why you have to have that uh, that that membership card because you're basically they claim that. But come well, on, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, not, yeah you're, right. <laughs> well, it's in the name. You're not a small <laughs> business. You're not selling your briskets by and large, right? I mean, right, right, yeah, <laughs> they are for personal consumption. <laughs> But, but uh, you know, Costco and Sam's Club are not trying to be everything to everyone, carry everything under the sun uh, and, and have multiple vendors um, or, or, or subcontractors uh, compete with their, their own, you know, Kirkland or Sam's Club brands or stuff like that. So I don't know. I, um, in general, I, I, I'm anti-monopolistic, but that uh, is, is Amazon a monopoly? I don't know. They, we still buy from Walmart.com. We buy from multiple you know like you said ebay there there are plenty of other retailers out there that carry stuff that competes with amazon that we we purchase from so but then i'm also speaking from a place of well that's my story so it must be the right one <laughs> and i don't i can't speak for everybody true true all we have is anecdotal evidence here yeah. but on the other hand those things do still exist i think new egg is still a thing i mean there's yeah. there's plenty there's plenty of other places to go somebody must be using them for them yeah. to exist. And there's a lot of niche things that I'll look for that are not available on Amazon where I will have to go to an outside entity. So even though Amazon has created a, a convenience and an ease and the desirability of say the prime shipping and so forth, they're not the only game in town. And, and again, this seems to me like the FTC barking up the wrong tree and keeping us from buying digital hats. Uh, <laughs> and I sort of uh, would agree like now more than maybe five years ago, I feel like Amazon, like the, the market has realized that selling on Amazon might not be the best option. So maybe going away. What I think is the, the companies who are complaining the most are the ones who are trying to do both sell on Amazon and somewhere else. And what I experienced was when I buy from them directly, their customer support is often like lacking in comparison because Amazon just like when I go through Amazon, it's fast. It's reliable. The return policies are more yes. stringent. If you go through non Amazon, the quality yeah. is often substandard. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, Amazon forces those providers to at least raise to Amazon standards, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And and of course, if the if the delivery is handled by Amazon, that is an Amazon standard. And I'm getting stuff from from two countries away um, to Austria the next day when it's fulfilled by Amazon. And then I see it's from Poland and then I see it's through Germany and then it's apparently in Austria and it's here the next day. And I'm like, how do they do that? I cannot know. <laughs> Flying carpets like. Flying it's, carpets. Yeah, they have the only flying carpet technology and they're keeping it from everyone else. That's their competitive edge. And and I so agree. And I know companies who are only exclusively like they have their Amazon storefronts and everything. And I'm like, they just say we focus on our product. And of course, then you have to, to differentiate. Um, like there's an and I think people know that Noctua. It's an Austrian company who are doing case fans for computers. And like there are so many cheap case fans out there, and theirs are very expensive. And of course, they have to differentiate by brand name. And on Amazon, if I look for PC fan, I won't find Noctua, even though I've purchased a lot of them, like through Amazon over the years. They don't show up at the top. I have to put in Noctua, but because the brand, rec they put the work into the brand 
and not into their fulfillment and not into their per like uh, payment provider stuff and everything. You need to know what market you're in and you need to know what to focus on. And I agree. If you know that, um, then Amazon just like is, is another platform to be on. Do I like that everything is on a platform now? I don't. But if you're a smart business person, you need to be aware of how can I move my customers and how can I get to that direct relationship with the customer so that they follow me where I, where I go to, you know? And, and in a matter of full disclosure, uh, a lot of my books are available through Amazon. Uh, a lot of them aren't. Um, I have, oh, okay. I have, I have done both channels of distribution to differing effect. I keep much more of the revenue if I don't sell through Amazon. Amazon takes a major gouge and has to change your business model accordingly. Um, uh, on the other hand, you know, there are certain benefits to being on Amazon that you cannot get by setting it up yourself or by doing it yourself. The cost of convenience is real. And, and that means that you can scale at a different rate um, and reach different customers than you would if you tried to do it on your own. So there are benefits and there are costs. Um, does that make Amazon a monopoly? I don't know. I don't know. I won't say I won't say they're the only game in town, but they're they're certainly giving everybody else a run for their money. So it, it's tough to say, I think. Um, all right. Uh, that was a lot of stuff. Any, anything else, anything else we need to address? I'm tired. I need a nap. <laughs> <laughs> we need younger people on here. Oh gosh. Yeah. This is too much. All right. Um, well, thank you all. Oh, the day this comes out, the day we have this scheduled to come out, uh, I am very honored. I've been asked to speak at another graduation of Perscolis. Um, oh, good. The educational institute that um, we uh, featured earlier uh, last year on the show, uh, Perscolis offers uh, no-cost uh, education in IT and security realms. Uh, highly recommend them if you qualify or they're in your area. Go look at them. Congratulations to this newest batch of graduates. Uh, they're getting their CYSA Plus certification. So oh, good. good for them and welcome to our industry. Yes, absolutely. And and good on you for, for helping inspire the next generation, Ben. Well, I don't know if I'll inspire them, but I'm going to try not to stifle them. <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not go in there and say, don't do it. Don't do it. Go get a better job. This is just not where you want to be. Uh, not where right. you want to be, yeah. I see. <laughs> uh, until next time, I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. And I'm Raphael Fiedler. Join us again next week for another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec. Hey there, listener. Matt here. If you like listening to Ben, Robin, Rofty, Joey, or myself, please consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash securitized. Interested in training for CISSP, CCSP, CISM, SSCP, CCSK, boy, that's a lot of letters, or other InfoSec certifications. Go to Ben's website for all his training programs at wannabeacissp.com. That's spelled W-A-N-N-A-B-E-A-C-I-S-S-P.com. We are on Discord. Engage with us by searching for the channel Wannabeacissp. 
feedback or questions on what we discuss, send a good old-fashioned email to ben at benmaliso.com. You may hear a shout-out or your feedback on a future show. We're all working professionals in the InfoSec industry, so feel free to link up with us on LinkedIn. Support Rofty's company and test drive their free firewall software called Portmaster, downloadable at their website, safing.io, spelled S-A-F-I-N-G dot I-O. Support Joey's company, Blue Edge Networks, at blueedgenetworks.com, and listen to Joey's podcast called Topic of Choice at topicofchoice.com. Join us on Reddit at slash r slash ssoi underscore fans. All opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and for entertainment purposes only. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions of our companies, affiliates, employers, guests, or even each other. No advice given here should be followed without consulting with a professional for any specific InfoSec situation you may experience.